1: There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting, too much noise altogether. In silence there's strength and peace and space imagine. silent forever. The Penis Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for a a Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself, Dr. Joe If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to Prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So Prost. Where I wanna call my home. So stop for a second and listen. It's <laughs> not silent at
0: all. Welcome to the Penis Project Podcast. Today, we're very excited to invite Dr. Eve Tiong, who is a radio oncologist and she works out at Midland for ICON in Western Australia. And we actually had a request from some people to ask more and find out more about radiation treatment for prostate cancer and how that affects men and their families. So today, Dr. Joe and I are having a chat with Eve and we're going to find out all the information that you guys asked for. So welcome. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Mel and Jojo. I was <laughs> thinking whether I should call you by the nicknames, but I have decided not.
0: <laughs> we've, we've just been informing Eve of our Prudence and Putana nicknames. So she knows all about those now. So <laughs> welcome. So Eve, tell us a bit about yourself. How, where did you train and what do you do?
2: So I'm a radiation oncologist. Um, I trained i'm from sydney so most of my radiation oncology training is in sydney but i've been very lucky and privileged to have been able to work in you know various institutions singapore did my fellowship in canada where i've met a lot of great people and now i work in two private cancer centers in midland and rockingham
0: and you're a mum as well of the lovely Chloe.
2: Yes, she's turned five, as mm. we uh, mentioned, and uh, that's my full-time job, really. Radiation oncology is, is my part-time job. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think being a mother is way harder than working. Definitely.
2: <laughs> Any yeah. mothers who stay at home, I
0: take my hat off too.
1: Now, I am so happy to speak to you because I have been working in urology, we'll, we'll say, um, as a physiotherapist for 15 years as my brother is a urologist and specifically it was to help his radiation sorry his uh, radical prostatectomy patients and the radiation aspect of things was something that i knew nothing about but as we all know that's an option for treatment so could you give us a little bit of information about why someone would choose radiation versus surgery
2: you know joe um, radiation is actually a very under-recognized treatment modality and in fact you know if i wasn't a radiation oncologist i would admit that radiotherapy sounds foreign to me and it sounds it may sound scary mm. to some as well but once i get to know it better it is a very you know good treatment option i tell my men and their wives that having radiation to the prostate is just like having an X ray treatment. Right. So it's high energy powered X rays to treat cancer cells, to treat, to kill the cancer cells, to create, treat their cancer. It's not invasive. So when they are having radiotherapy, uh, they don't feel it, they don't see it. It can be delivered in two ways external beam. So using a machine, they lie on the, ma- the treatment bed on the machine and the X rays are delivered from an external source or they can choose to have brachytherapy which involves implantation of radioactive seeds or catheters directly into the prostate and that allows delivery of radiation directly into the prostate. They're very different type of radiation but it's not as um, daunting as they would think.
0: And what's the pros and cons like why would you choose brachytherapy over normal or there's no
2: versa? no pro there's always pros and cons but mm-hmm. i think the selection is very dependent on firstly technical availability whether you have the technical availability or not so for example brachytherapy here in wa i would say it's available at the Charles Gardner hospital but it's not widely available you know so if you want brachytherapy you may choose to go to a center that does it in high volume. Um, secondly, patient and physician's preference. It depends on what patients wants because it's two very different procedures. Brachytherapy is invasive. They will require some form of sedation, anesthesia. Uh, We've uh, low... the. Uh, uh, radiotherapy active seeds they may need to stay in hospital for 3 days for okay. recovery so they're just very different pros and cons different side effects advantages and obviously patient selection is key so just if
0: someone was to choose brachytherapy how many times would they have to have that
2: have the treatment as opposed to radiation so it depends on what type of brachytherapy the first type is called low dose rate or LDR brachytherapy. And that involves implantation of many, many radioactive seeds into the prostate by an urologist accompanied with a radiation oncologist on site. Uh, That Requires a short hospital stay, and there are some radioactive precautions to take. To take, but once it's implanted, it's in the prostate permanently. Right. Okay. And so then that just stays there and that does its stays trick- there, and it releases low doses of radiotherapy into the, the prostate continuously, but these radioactive seeds have decay time so they all decay and loses their radioactiveness after a while
0: now this is just a question and then i know dr joe's busting to ask something so i just want to ask a question that i get asked a lot by patients if someone has brachiotherapy and they have this radioactive prostate can they have sex
2: yes they can but not immediately so what's the wait time I think it's about um, you have to wait at least a week, but I'll have to check that.
0: Okay, we can add that in after. But, um, oh, so that's not so long then. A week's not so long. I was always
2: wondering whether or not, you know, you had to wait months or something. No, because they will become radioactive as soon as those radioactive seeds are in their prostate and they have to wait for the radioactive activity to decay to a safe level to the general public before they can contact... Their loved ones, pregnant women, for example, oh. and have sex. Yes. Wow, I've never thought about that
1: before. That makes me think of a patient many years ago. Um, He was active in the um, services and he was involved in the Montebello Island cleanup when they had the nuclear bombing of Western Australia. And his wife developed many cancers from sleeping beside him yeah. over a number of years. And all of their children had malformation in their bones and skull skeletal system, back surgery is very young and things like that. So that's a common question as well. If someone's had radiation, a lot of partners are concerned that they might not be able to sleep in the same bed as their
2: Mm. husband. So if they have external beam radiation or high-dose rate brachytherapy, radiotherapy, the radiation does not stay with their partners, with the men, um, so they are not radioactive. In that situation, so there is no risk to their loved ones, families, children, or pets, uh, if they choose to have external beam radiation, and that's the type of radiotherapy that's being delivered from an external source,
0: which is right. what you do at Icon. Correct. Yeah.
1: Right. So I recently did a presentation to the West Australian Urology Nursing mm. Association, and it's called sunwa and we just were talking in the background. We had um urologist dr matt brown come and talk about you know all of the approaches for surgery but there was a little bit of a murmuring when we mentioned the word brachytherapy and i used to have many patients undergo brachytherapy and i haven't come across one for years and even the nurses agreed with me we said is anyone doing it in perth right now
2: it is unfortunately a a dying art that's Um, an appropriate word in this instance mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and it's not just in Western Australia, but you will find that this trend, while there are still certain centres in Australia that is performing it in high volume, like Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Victoria, uh, some centres in eastern states, but you will find that it is a well-recognised issue with our college as well, that it is not uh, not many radiation oncologists are trained in delivering low-dose rate Brachytherapy anymore. Mm. So it used to be that there was a very good radiation oncologist who has been doing this for years mm-hmm. at Sir Charles Gardner yes. Hospital, yeah. mm-hmm. and as we all know, he has retired. Yes, uh, since and with that, hence the volume of brachytherapy patients that you see, unfortunately, will probably continue to decrease in the coming years. So,
0: what about outcomes? Then you know, if someone was t- I mean, because so therefore most people in Western Australia are having the type of
2: radiation therapy that you do um, and your outcome from brachytherapy is Similar. That? They're just very different in the type of treatments that they are, mm-hmm. uh, who they are suitable for uh, and the side effects. Okay. So can you talk to that? Speak to that for us. Tell us about that. Okay. So I'll focus more on external beam radiation. Because right. I
1: think moving forward, that might be what more people have an opportunity to access Correct. anyway. Yeah. And that's
2: what I am probably more familiar with yeah. as well. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Uh, so with external beam radiation, most of our men, they are able to live their lives as normally as possible, performing normal function. So for example, I have men who are truck drivers who can continue to drive their trucks high-level functioning people and continue to hold their tasks. This is during their treatment? During their treatment. When everybody's different and you might find that you may need to adjust your expectations on what you can do during treatment to what your side effects are. But the common side effects during radiotherapy, and they could run for either five sessions or four to eight weeks, depending on, again, your preference and your cancer fatigue. Fatigue is a very common side effect. The fatigue affects every individual very differently and from all walks of life. I tell my patients that this fatigue, it slows you, but it doesn't stop you from doing your day-to-day activities. So I generally encourage them to try and live their normal lives as much as possible and incorporate some exercise, which is very important to reverse the fatigue.
1: Well, I happen to just write the word exercise <laughs> and um, I'm really glad you say that because in Western Australia, we're very fortunate at Edith Cowan University. There's a team under our Professor Rob Newton and Dr. Daniel Galveo, Galveo, should I say sorry, sorry, um, who are world leaders in uh, exercises, medicine, providing yeah. exercise programs. So as a result of that, we know that anyone undergoing treatment for prostate cancer or living beyond their treatment. Um, should do three hours of cardiovascular resistance work per week, which is usually three one-hour sessions working out in the gym or, you know, um, doing something that's more physically oriented that challenges them, plus 30 minutes of walking a day or 150 minutes per week. And so every single patient, when I meet them, whether they're on a um, program for radiation or treatment for surgical removal of their prostate cancer, My job is to get them walking from day one. One of our surgeons regularly says that he wants them to start working five kilometres a day. Mm. And I only stop for the two or three days they're in hospital. And they then continue safe exercise. And I progress it from four to six weeks. Post-op, but any radiation patient, I encourage them to go and Agreed. work in a in a research program, like at the Vario Institute.
2: Definitely, mm. they will benefit from exercise um,
1: research, exercise
2: programs. Mm. You know, um, as you know, uh, Joe, not everyone has the same access to these exercise no. research due to you know transport, logistics. And some patients do not want to participate that's in research. True too. Yeah. So I want all men to know that you don't have to
1: do research to do exercise. You can exercise anytime.
2: Hey, that's great. Yeah. And
1: um, what about can I just add one yeah, thing? Sorry, because it's really topical. Yeah. Sorry to butt in. Hmm. Um I was very aware of this. So in 2012, mm. I set up Prost yes. Exercise for Prostate Cancer because I saw men get very fit yes. and very happy and very yes. elevated in mood by their exercise program. So I just said anyone who was involved in research at Notre Dame at the time, come to a community program and we and we now deliver that program worldwide because mm-hmm. we have it on a USB resource that we Sounds developed. Great. And we're about to take it online, is in development at the moment. So any any center in the whole world. We have three different USBs, one's for clinicians, mm. one's for um the everyday man, and one is for a support group leader that might want to set up a little exercise session. You can mm-hmm. simply put the video on and a guy with a prostate cancer no matter what type of treatment no matter what stage he's at his age or ability it's a safe and evidence-based program that sounds great
2: Mm. Mm. thank you for letting me
0: know (laughs) okay so
1: Eve, what um so the other side effects things like that
0: we commonly hear about with you know, having prostate cancer treatment are erectile dysfunction and incontinence. And what, what's kind of the rate and the time frame of that with radiation? So
2: the other common side effects of radiotherapy is that I tell my men, radiation can have short and long-term impact on bladder, mm-hmm. bowel and sexual function. Mm-hmm. The side effects that they get with their bladder is very different from surgery. So for example, men who... Chooses to have prostatectomy Are more likely to develop incontinence Which Mm -hmm. is leakage But men who chooses to have radiotherapy They tend to have more Irritative or obstructive Type symptoms So for example you will hear men saying That they go to the toilet more frequently More urgently Uh, They could wake up more frequently at night Mm -hmm. The stream could be slower More hesitant slight discomfort and if you have had your prostate removed and then you have radiation afterwards then these men are more likely to have worsening of their urinary incontinence these urinary side effects they do recover um you know six to eight weeks of recovery but the expectation is that they are not going to be the same whatever it is bowel bladder or sexual function um, however, most men tend to live well, yeah, beyond their treatment, adjusting to the long term side effects of their function. Similarly to the bowel, you know, because we cannot entirely avoid the rectum, unlike surgery. Surgery does not impact on bowel function, uh, but radiation. Can There are options uh, that is available these days to try and reduce the high doses of radiotherapy on the rectum. You would have heard of a material called space saw yes. or berry gel that's inserted into the space between the prostate and the rectum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, men could get, you know, uh, a mild discomfort, urgency on passing bowel movements and in the longer term, risk of bowel dysfunction, as well as bleeding. Again, I tell my men that risk of bleeding is permanent. It is usually exacerbated if they have long-term health conditions like diabetes, or if they are on immunosuppressant drugs that they can take for rheumatoid arthritis, uh, or if they are on blood thinness, these are known to escalate the risk of bleeding. Most of the time, bleeding from the bowel and bladder, for a matter of fact, they are fairly mild and intermittent and manageable. Uh, however, there are a small proportion of men that may develop serious episodes of bleeding where they are passing clots. These are usually, they're usually intervention for these. So I'm just thinking about that in
0: my the people men that i see that are post radiation and if they talk about ble- bleeding perhaps i should be checking their iron levels as well because that might be contributing to their fatigue
2: or blood because they may be anemic yes of course yes before
1: yeah. we talk about the sexual function i really like to talk a little bit more about both of those symptoms because mm-hmm. as you said if men have radical prostatectomy they don't get any bowel mm-hmm. symptoms and we focus on their urinary continence yes. so when i teach Um, how to do pelvic floor exercises, we now know the anterior focus of the pelvic floor is the critical one. Physios used to always do um, the back passage as the first step in the pelvic floor exercise. Mm. But we excluded that in our teaching now. We say squeeze the front passage Mm. and draw the penis in. Now, I have many patients then who then need to have Radiation. radiation. So then I quickly switched to say now we have to add the back passage because they're quite devastated by their fecal incontinence yes. or soiling. Yes. And so I really think we need to add the back passage back in, in I preparation. Agree. Mm. I agree. Mm. It's always good to do the front and back.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not going to paint the front of your house and not the back. That's
1: right. And, and to be honest, every single patient that I've worked with, who's had the fecal changes, through pelvic floor training, I've actually been able to assist them. Mm. Some men go on to have more serious complications, but I don't tend to see those ones in my physio clinic. But what's really important is this is a bit of a taboo topic. So men do not want to talk about the back passage. No. So. And it's very difficult for them to bring it up,
2: understandably, because mm. it's very embarrassing uh, for them. But it is something that is Uh, that needs to be talked about because it impacts on their quality of life. And I tell my patients, if they develop unfortunate symptoms like this, yes, these are irreversible, but they can be maintained and improved. Mm -hmm. So as what you've said, Joe, pelvic floor exercises can help because naturally with aging, which adds to the weakness Mm -hmm. of the muscles as well, it's any muscle, you need to exercise it to maintain it. A mentor of mine um, in Canada used to tell a man that these pelvic floor exercises needs to be done 300 times a day.
1: Wow. So I say 120, but I'm really pleased to hear that. In fact, Dr. Ryan Stafford, who I've teamed yes. up with, we know that there are no pelvic floor training programs in evidence. And we said that's what we're trying to do. Exactly. For radiation patients wow. right now. But the more you do, the better it is. Yeah. It's the technical message.
0: So is there something else they can do to help with this? Bladder and bowel issue by changing their diet. Like, is there foods that that could? I mean, I'm I'm just thinking of things. Surely you would cut back on
2: your fiber whilst this problem yes. is happening. So we, as radiation oncologists, we tend to see our patients once a week during their radiotherapy. Oh, and nowadays, if they have higher risk prostate cancers, it is an increasing trend to treat their lymph nodes as well. Mm. And with that, the data shows that there are. More bowel symptoms like diarrhea to be expected. Mm -hmm. So I will, if they do develop diarrhea, yes, one of the advice is to consider modifying their diet. Mm -hmm. And in some situations, they may even benefit from a referral to a dietitian. Because again, while it seems straightforward and there are a list of food on Google that they can take or cannot take it's useful to have that guidance. We might put a um, show
1: notes thing at the end of here because last week I had a a patient come in with a list of bladder irritants and Mm -hmm. I was surprised. One of the most significant ones was MSG. And this man had been making so much progress and then had this full leak wet through episode. Mm -hmm. He was a surgical patient. Um, And I said to him, look at this food list. Did you have anything on this food list last night for dinner? Mm Because you've been going so well. And he ended up saying no nothing I said what did you have for dinner he said I did a big fry up chips good rings and fish and planted it with chicken salt so I typed in chicken salt chicken salt is msg so I said have the same dinner again tonight, but with normal salt, if you don't mind. <laughs> he d- didn't mind That's It's his favorite meal. Very healthy. <laughs> no no bedwetting weddings. And everyone's
2: different. Yep. You know, some men may be affected by this food, yeah, but exactly. some may not affected. So I, it takes time it does. to, you know, actually know these things. Mm. So it's very useful then to keep a diary of your bad mm. days. Good idea. And then write down what you eat and drink for the first 24, 48 hours and then if you have a bad day, useful to trace back. Is it something you ate? Could it be this? Could it be that? And then if you are, I guess, brave enough to try it again and mm-hmm. it happened again,
1: then maybe you can
2: recognize a pattern.
1: And that's empowerment for men because then they, if they've got that bladder and bowel diary, they can go, oh, this is what I did. And one of my patients only gets it on the golf course, his yes. fecal incontinence. So what we did was we just got him to get some um, – product that helped his stools be yes. more firm yes is that Benefiber yep. usually yep just simple things like that and now he can play golf without wearing a nappy he's done his pelvic floor training and that's all he wanted to be able to do exactly and mm. you know there are some men who may
2: have side effects more serious than others yeah. and these conservative measures may not work then there are always specialist interventions.
1: So, can we discuss what they are? are you talking like fistulas and things like that, or
2: uh, for incontinence mainly, yeah, and mm-hmm. bowel. So, uh, we will be referring them to, for example, if they are severe urinary incontinence, mm-hmm. not relieved by changing what they drink pelvic floor exercises then that obviously needs to see the urologist
0: sure so i'm just mindful of time because you've got lots of patients to see today haven't you yes so let's briefly look at the sexual function what sort of um effect does does radiation have on sexual function in
2: the short term and the long term so in the short term it's mainly the libido because of the fatigue most men will say to me that they're having treatment right now it's the last thing that they think about sure Okay, um, Sounds like a menopausal woman. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking
0: that when we were talking about the bladder. Mind you,
2: I also find it more common than note that if you ask, most men will have already some baseline erectile dysfunction mm. even before starting any treatment. Yes,
0: yeah, so I find that too. Is the age group? Guys,
2: Yeah. Whether it's age or because of their baseline sexual activity or other health conditions, sure, of course, I yeah. always find that it's often a combination of factors mm. that may contribute to their pre-existing erectile function. So I counsel this man that if you are already if you already have issues before any treatment, then you are more likely to develop issues during and after your radiotherapy. The onset of erectile dysfunction, impotence after radiotherapy is usually a gradual change rather than an immediate change. Mm. So, you know... Like in surgery. Like in surgery. um, So it's often a gradual change. And again, men who are on injections, the hormone injections to... Suppress their testosterone, then again, these men do tend to have more sexual health problems than men who are not. So there are things that we can do to help these men. The first thing that we need to do is to ask them. Yes. You know, this is as a female oncologist, these are not an easy topic to breach most times. I'm Asian, so culturally, it's not a comfortable topic to be talking about as well openly. But I'm finding that it does impact on men. And once you bring it up, it opens a can of worms.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think um, I'm seeing, when I first started working in this area, I only really saw men who had surgery. But I'm finding that the awareness is getting better and I'm getting increasing referrals from radonks and people like that. And, you know, I think that's the trick is that whole you know, saying to guys, you know, this is probably a combination of your aging process as well as what's going on. And there's always a workaround. And I think it's important for men to not choose their treatment option around their outcomes of sexual function, because there's a way we can always work around that to get that happening for them.
2: And a lot of men will come and say, look, you know, I accept that this is, this is different or dead after treatment for prostate cancer but you know Mel I went to your talk the other day and I've been using it ever since to all my men is that you know yes it can be different but it doesn't mean that it cannot be good exactly it may not be perfect but you can still have sex yes Um, so it's important that you know we try everything we can to try and
1: improve whatever they have can I just ask the long term? complications. So in my research, mm-hmm. I came across Perrani disease yes. occurring in one in eight men. And I've never heard a radiation oncologist med- mention that, that Very rarely, I don't even think a urologist will either preoperatively, but my role I feel is to just educate patients, not to scare them, but just say, look out for this. Mm-hmm. If you notice some pain in your penis or a slight bend, there's something we can do. The earlier we get onto it, quicker so what's your experience with the long-term outcomes so sexually
2: in long-term outcomes very variable Mm. i have some men you know who are in their 80s and are still having great sex even (laughs) after treatment
0: lucky them
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, i use them to motivate my younger men. great excellent Um, if they have the injections combined with their treatment then yes it does take a longer period to recover because once we stop the injections the testosterone Recovery is gradual, can take up to a year or even two years mm-hmm. for that to happen. Right. Um, so yes, you are right, Joe. It is an underrecognized problem. Specifically with
1: Peronis disease, there's not much data out there, as you have mentioned. No. And that's I why found one paper a, and it was a 2017 mm-hmm. paper, Frey et al., if anyone's listening. I'm happy to share that on the sh- notes as well, show notes, because I knew that it was happening because many of my uh clinical participants in the research trial were post-radiation patients and I'm like what's this
0: Mm, Mm. mm.
2: so I'll be interested to see what your research show in the future but you know I have there's no great data no there's nothing there's one
1: paper yes that's right so
0: Mm. and we have got two more questions and we'll let you go back to clinic um so the first question is the t- hormone-lowering therapy, I think that people in the community are under the impression that radiation and hormone-lowering therapy naturally go hand in hand, but they don't. So they could don't. you
2: speak to that a little bit? So prostate men who are they are stratified, when, when I see a patient, I tell them you are broadly categorized into three groups, mm-hmm. uh, whether you have early prostate cancer, and that depends on the biology, or high-risk prostate cancers. And that's determined by how high the PSA is, how big the cancer is, uh, and the biology. So the cells that we see underneath the microscope, we give these s- cells a score. Okay. The score ranges from 6 to 10. So s- if you have a Gleason score above 8, and in some instances of 7, we would generally combine the radiotherapy treatment with either a short course of these hormone injections or long-term hormone injections. Now, this is if the man comes to me and says, if I want the best outcomes... For my prostate cancer treatment Then there's very good data To show that the combination Of the treatment will help To prolong the control Of their prostate cancer But of course When you have two treatments combined It does have a greater impact On their quality of life Short and long term Yeah, If you have early localized prostate cancer below Gleason 6 and 7 then no generally we do not need to recommend these injections okay
0: and I, I just on that point of the exercise in the guys I've seen and I'm sure you've seen it too Joe, that the guys who exercise when they're having hormone lowering therapy just do they thrive. so they much do. better
2: they definitely do much better now You know, exercise is very important. I can't stress that enough, Uh, especially in the men who are receiving these hormone injections because these hormone injections does alter the metabolism and it does raise the risk of heart problems and strokes. So the Mm. exercise not just improves their overall well-being physically and mentally, but it will help to improve and lower their risk of developing
1: heart attacks and strokes. That's so interesting because I always say hard health and heart health are related. And it is now a measure that, you know, we should be asking patients um, if you've noticed any dysfunctional changes in their penile health, it could be related to the impending cardiovascular risk. And on that, my last question would be, do you routinely think doctors are asking patients about their sexual bowel and bladder health? And not just doctors, but allied health professionals. I think it's a question we should raise with our patients in effort to make it a more comfortable conversation.
2: I must admit that, you know, when I was training as a young radiation oncology registrar fellow, it's not a routine thing to ask. Oh, my gosh. Mainly Mm. if you are in a busy clinic, Mm -hmm. these conversations take time
0: they do because you need i was just talking to this someone about this the other day and saying i can't see a patient in less than 30 minutes to 45 minutes because i need to ask them what they do for a hobby just mm. so they feel comfortable before mm. i can talk about their penis you know can't have someone come in and go say so, how hard does your see, penis get
1: the problem is like for november this year the 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 biggest issue is Suicide in men, mm. and that's the campaign. Now, these these topics that we're talking about are what goes in men's head. Traditionally, they can't talk about their no. inadequacies, and this is actually a mental health and scenario. You know, mm. you know, when a man comes into my clinic
2: and you say, "Hey, how are you?" They will say, "I'm fine." Yes. yes. How's your bowels? How's your bladder? They are fine. Mm. But you really need to ask the specific questions how many times are you going at night? Do you have pain? Do you have... So I have a sp- very specific questions because you will find that not all men are open-ended. They will give you a closed answer. So if you ask open-ended questions, they will give you a few words sentence but if you dig deeper you will often find things that you can
1: talk about that's and a great tip we can for make other it, health professionals sorry, i'm talking in again we can make it so much easier we can actually give the patients the epic ic form which yes. raises all those questions before they walk in and then we shift that embarrassment and all that time that's what i did in my research we and I was do like, have
2: Ooh. yes we do have the epic forms for some of my patients but those forms can be lengthy um, but I encourage The, the them, Epic Short Form one. It's a one-page. I find to do. Yes. Yeah, it takes like three. Three, three minutes, minutes. Yeah. correct. So these are great. And mm-hmm. as you know, with uh, um, Peter, Mac, they have, um, I think they are now focusing on patient reported outcomes, right. prompts. Yeah. Um, and I ag- agree with you, Joe, that mm-hmm. these are very important to implement in a clinic.
0: Yes. So we're going to, for any health professionals listening, we will put the epic form in the end of the show notes we'll also put the list of bladder irritants and we'll put the paper about Peronis that Dr. Joe talked about
1: but also all of those forms can be shared with guys listening and their partners because they can fill out the form and say this is me yes exactly and then I'm a bit concerned but I've been a bit embarrassed now I'm we've got
0: one that. final question for you Eve yes. now this was a question from a physiotherapist she sent us an email that said that she's loving listening to The Penis Project and she shares it around all the time and particularly with her urologist colleagues. But she recently shared it with a friend whose father had prostate cancer, which he had prostate, his prostate removed five years ago. And then after that, he had to have follow-up radiation. Um, And this friend of hers called her and said that his PSA was going up again. And it um, wasn't long enough after the radiation to be considered a bounce. So she wanted to know more about that. Now, I had never even heard of the term bounce. So would you speak to that for us?
2: Yes, PSA bounce after radiotherapy to the prostate. Again, it's not an unknown phenomenon. It happens in roughly one in three patients. Mm. It's more common in patients that have the shorter course of radiotherapy than the longer course. But what that means is that it is a transient increase of PSA, which is the blood test marker, following radiation, which typically occurs roughly 12 to 18 months after your radiotherapy. Uh, And then once that happens, it quickly bounces back, but also gradually decreases back to where it should be. Uh, Often that bounce shouldn't be too significant. That bounce can either be greater than i think a certain percentage i have to get back to you on that one sure. uh, of the normal psa okay so
0: it's not really something to worry about if it, they it have happens. that bounce
2: no,
1: no. so it, you'd have to get repeat blood tests see the bounce and see it go down and then and keep then you know following
2: okay. correct yeah. so i tell my patients that if you come back for your follow-ups and if you see your psa increase often it can be a bounce however i don't Become overly anxious with mm-hmm. one reading. You have to always take two or three more readings to make sure that it is a rising trend.
0: Great. So, as as I've said before in this podcast, we're really so grateful for you spending the time away from your clinic to speak to us and listening. Thank you for having me. So, thanks. It was really fantastic, and we might have to have. Well, I think we've both got so many questions. We won't have to get you back another day.
1: <laughs> well, it's. Um, kind of fortuitous i actually interviewed ryan stafford uh, recently we haven't played the podcast because i just didn't feel the time was right but we are now and he's leading the research at uwa trying to look at all the vascular changes and tissue changes as a consequence of radiation so we'll play his um next i think great um so thank you for filling a massive gap joining helping us join the dots and we we are really appreciative thank you thank you very much ladies thank you for having me thank you to tell you about a boy lives inside me He's been there all of my life Hi, this is Dr Joey. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback, and Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org, and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also, feel free to send us a review. And this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these, as well as the Everyday Bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Of those dread dark days, I learned to value each and every one. Of those warm afternoons, boys on their bodies. Stones at each other through the trees We try to deny the going down of the sun We're just having
0: too much fun And women, just a mystery